as we were singing together this morning, I could not help but reflect upon uh, last year uh, where we were not able to to gather together in person uh, on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, and what a joy it is to be able to celebrate, not just uh, by ourselves in our homes, uh, but to gather together uh, and celebrate the risen Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be turning to uh, a couple different places, but why don't you start by turning to 1 Corinthians uh, 15. As you're, as you're turning there, uh, I grew up down in uh, San Diego uh, and have been a, a Chargers fan for many years now. Uh, but the first time I actually went to uh, a Chargers game was just a, a few years ago. Uh, and my, my father-in-law is a Denver Broncos fan. Pray for him. Uh, and when uh, we were living in Los Angeles, we decided that we were going to drive down uh, and a- attend a, a game where the, the Broncos were playing uh, the Chargers. And when we, we pulled into the stadium parking lot, I was amazed to see how many Denver Broncos fans there were there in San Diego. Uh, and I was almost thinking, I think there's more Broncos fans here than Chargers fans. And then we got into the stadium and we got to our seats. Uh, and I was looking around, I'm like, there are more Denver Broncos fans here than, than Chargers fans. Uh, and uh, it ended up being a, a good game, uh, but uh, the Broncos won. Uh, but it was fun to, to see Peyton Manning play uh, in person and uh, just overall an enjoyable experience. But one of the things that also really stood out to me uh, when we went to that game was how many people there were outside of the stadium selling tickets uh, to those who were desperately trying to get into the game. Uh, and uh, those people who were outside of the stadiums trying to sell tickets are commonly known as ticket scalpers. Right? And, and they, they are happy uh, to sell you tickets at a very marked up price uh, if you are uh, there at the game and don't have a ticket, but you're, you're desperately trying to get in. Uh, and uh, you go up to one of these uh, ticket scalpers and you kind of have a hushed conversation. Uh, you know what they have and they know what you want. So it's a quick transaction. And then you go on your way. Uh, they've given you the ticket to get into the game. Uh, and beyond that, you don't really want to have any interaction with that person. And they don't want to have any interaction with you. They're kind of like, just go, get in there. Uh, and that's kind of the extent of your relationship. And I think that, that many of us unintentionally treat Jesus as a heavenly ticket scalper. That, that he has the, the ticket for us to get into heaven... And then once the transaction takes place, that we're not to have anything else to, to do with him. We got what we want, we get into the game, and then that's kind of it. But I think this view is not only tremendously inaccurate, but we are at a loss for it. It leads to a low view of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and it leads us to miss out on an amazing relationship with him relationship that we should have with our Savior, beyond just Him getting us into fellowship and relationship with God the Father. We need to see and worship Jesus for all that He is, all that He has done on our behalf, and 
all that he is currently doing for us on our behalf. And we tend to focus upon the first two. We tend to focus upon who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection, right? We focus upon the birth of Jesus every single year, right? It's marked on our calendar, December 25th. We celebrate the virgin birth, Jesus becoming a man, coming down to live a perfect life. And we study his sinless life, we study his teachings, we study his miracles. We, we look to his death on the cross. That's what we did on Friday. Uh, we, we looked at what he accomplished for us on the cross. What we just celebrated this morning. Right? We, we, we look to that on a regular basis. He has borne our guilt and paid the penalty for our sins. We worship him for that. And each and every Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. That's not just a resurrection Sunday thing. That's an every Sunday thing. We have to remember that. But indeed, there is so much to celebrate regarding the resurrection. If you're there in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes of the resurrection as the very foundation of our faith. He says this, beginning in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Because if, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, we should be pitied because our life is futile and vain. But then in verse 20 he says, But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep... For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now that is what Christ accomplished in the resurrection. And the importance of the resurrection cannot be understated, but so often we stop thinking about the ministry of Jesus after his resurrection. We don't think about what Jesus is currently doing on our behalf in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. We could ask, what is he doing now? And I'd like to turn our attention to that this morning, the, the ministry of the resurrected Christ. And I want to look at two particular ways that Jesus continues to minister on our behalf. One is his ministry as an intercessor. And secondly, his ministry as an advocate. Uh, and so looking at the first, I would invite you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 7 where we will see his ministry as an intercessor. But what exactly is an intercessor? Oh, it's the idea of, of a mediator, of one who pleads uh, on behalf of another. It's the idea that if there is conflict uh, between two people, uh, there is someone who stands in the middle and puts his hand uh, upon both parties and brings them together. Now, that is an intercessor. Uh, and you and I uh, are commanded to, to pray for one another. 
Uh, we are commanded to intercede uh, for one another uh, to the Father. But also we have Jesus as an intercessor, as one who is praying to God the Father on behalf of his people. Uh, and where do we see this in Scripture? Uh, Christ is repeatedly spoken of as our high priest. Uh, and that may seem a strange language to us. We don't usually think along the lines of a priest. Uh, but uh, the idea of uh, a priest, the very English word, means uh, the idea of standing in front of or presiding before. Uh, and, and that is what a priest does. Uh, they stand before God on behalf of a people. Right? In the Old Testament, uh, the, the Levitical priests, uh, the priests of Israel, came from the tribe of Levi and specifically from uh, the lineage of Aaron. Uh, and uh, they would go into the tabernacle and they would offer sacrifices and prayers on behalf of the nation of Israel. Uh, and ultimately, uh, in using this uh, illustration from the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews is going to say Christ is our great high priest. Uh, who offered a once and for all sacrifice. Uh, But now he also intercedes for us and prays for us. He offered the sacrifice, now he continually prays. Uh, This is seen in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. It says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34 also allude to Christ as our intercessor. It says, Who shall condemn or who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And then if you're there in Hebrews chapter 7, I would encourage you to look to verse 23. It says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's upon this this last verse that I would draw your attention. Verse 25. That Christ as our high priest, because he's not like the the priests in the Old Testament who who lived for a time and then what would happen to each and every one of those Old Testament priests? They eventually died. They they could not save others because they themselves had a finite life. But the, the author of Hebrews is saying, we have a priest now who does not die. So what is he able to do? He is able to save to the uttermost. Now, why is that important? Well, because we are sinners to the uttermost. That's what we have to rejoice and celebrate in. The the saving power of Christ. His saving power is greater than our sinning power. Though we go to great lengths to sin against him, he goes to great lengths to pray for us and to save us. Indeed, our salvation is secure. What he accomplished on the cross is secure because he is now constantly praying for us on our behalf. This is what he lives to do. And how richly does Christ's intercessory prayer, his constant continual prayer for us, 
how much love does that communicate to us? There's a uh, kind of a, a bi-monthly pastors meeting uh, that Bruce and I attend uh, with our denomination uh, throughout the year. Uh, and there's a, a dear brother that I see every other month uh, at uh, these, uh, we call them pastor cluster meetings w- with the EFCA. And every time I, I see him, he says, uh, how are you and your wife doing? Uh, and, and he asks about that because we had a miscarriage at the beginning of uh, last year. Uh, and every time I see him, he has been faithful to ask how we are doing. And every single time I see him, he says, I've been praying for you. Uh, and when I told him back in November that, that Libby was pregnant again, he rejoiced. Uh, he almost got up and did a little jig. Uh, he, he was so happy. He rejoiced in our joy. And I rejoiced that he had been praying. And I was just absolutely amazed because his continual prayer on our behalf communicates love, care, and concern. Right? Is, that, is that not how we always feel when we find out that someone has been praying for us? We understand their affection toward us. How much greater to realize that the risen Savior sitting at the right hand of God the Father, is praying for you. Think about that. This indeed means that that our salvation is profoundly personal. Christ has died to save you, and He continues to pray for you. Jesus is not that ticket scalper who gives you the ticket into heaven and says, okay, I'll see you later, maybe, never. No. He doesn't do that. Yet He is the one who has purchased our redemption, who brings us into relationship with God the Father. And He is the one who continues to seek and pursue a relationship with us and whoever lifts us up before God. One pastor, Dane Ortland, says this, If we knew about Christ's death and resurrection, but not His intercession, we would be tempted to view our salvation In overly formulaic terms, it would feel more mechanical than is true to who Christ actually is. His interceding for us reflects His heart. The same person that carried Him through life and down into death on behalf of His people is the heart that now manifests itself in constant pleading with and reminding and prevailing upon His Father to always welcome us. He did not die for us just to cast us aside. He did not die for us just to keep us at a distance. And it is His continual prayer for us that shows His love and reveals the profound, personal, and loving relationship that He has with each and every person that He died for. And this this truth that He always lives to make intercession for us, gives us hope because it means that Christ doesn't grow weary. He doesn't grow tired of praying for you. He doesn't grow lazy and he would rather do something else like we would. Nor does he withhold his intercession based upon your obedience or your disobedience. He doesn't look and say, look at the sticker chart for this believer. No, they, they only have five stickers on their chart this week. It's not that way. 
He is ever living to pray for us, and He is ever praying for His people, our faithful high priest. And He is able to save to the uttermost. But how often do we act as if He's not able to do that? How often do we act as if He is a partial Savior? That there are only certain sins that He is able to to deal with, only certain things that we are willing to bring to Him. We have to come to realize that if we trust in Jesus, each and every sin is forgiven. Sins in the past, sins in the present, sins in the future, sins that we know about, sins that we don't know about, which are probably going to be even greater than all of the other ones. Every one of those sins is forgiven if we look to Christ in faith. The blood of Christ is effective in purchasing our redemption and forgiveness, and the prayers of Christ are effective in keeping us right where He intended us to be. That is His ministry of prayer. And He continues to pray for us in heaven because we continue to sin here on the earth. What a comfort that our standing before God is not based upon our actions, but based upon His actions. That our standing before God is not based upon our prayer life, If that were the case, we would be in trouble. But it's based upon His prayer life. Christ praying for us is one of His ministries as the resurrected Savior. He lives to make intercession for His people. Uh, But there's another ministry that He has. Uh, It's very similar to this, but also distinct from it. And I invite you to turn over to to 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 a little ways to the right in your bibles where we see christ's ministry as an advocate again subtle difference between being an advocate and being an intercessor intercession as i said has the idea of placing your hands upon both parties and seeking to to bring peace of going to one on behalf of the other but advocacy has the idea that as these, these two parties are approaching, an advocate will join one side uh, in approaching the other. Uh, and, and this is exactly what Christ does. He is not only that neutral third party bringing us together with God, but He is coming alongside of us onto our side and bringing us along to advocate on our behalf to God the Father. And this is very clearly seen in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, where John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And in the first part of this verse, John is making it clear why he is writing to this group of believers. Uh, He is calling them to faithfully live for Christ, to no longer live uh, a life pursuing the world and sin. So I write to you that you may not sin, but if you do sin, you don't have to lose heart. Or more like, when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Again, notice the the occasion of Christ's advocacy. If anyone does sin. So while Christ 
is always interceding. He is always praying for us. He is our advocate when we need him to be. Now, he advocates for us on the right occasion of specific sin. Uh, The Puritan John Bunyan puts it this way. Does Christ as priest goes before and Christ as advocate comes after? Christ as priest continually intercedes, but Christ as advocate in case of great transgression pleads. Christ as priest acts in time of peace, but Christ as advocate in times of broils, turmoils, and sharp contentions. And wherefore, Christ as advocate is, as I may call him, a reserve, and his time is then to arise, to stand up and plead when his own are clothed with some filthy sin that of late they have fallen into. In those moments, we have an advocate with the Father. And and we could envision all of this playing out in a divine courtroom. God the Father presides as judge, and we stand there as a defendant. We stand there as defendant, and there is a prosecuting attorney. And the prosecutor has a name. Satan. He has a title, the devil. He's literally the one who accuses. One who engages in slander. The term the devil literally means the adversary. Revelation 12.10 says that he is the accuser of the brethren. We see this in Job chapters 1 and 2, right? Job is declared to be a righteous man, but what does Satan come and do in the throne room of God? He comes and accuses Job before God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So Jesus lives to intercede for his people. Satan lives to slander, accuse, and destroy us. So we stand before God. Satan is there rightly accusing us of sin. And indeed, we have all sinned and stand guilty before God. And and we realize this and we we are deeply concerned. Because sometimes Satan accuses us of sin and we are. It's true. Yes. What are we going to do? We're distraught by the what seems like the coming pronouncement of judgment. And maybe you were planning to act as your own defense counsel, and just at that moment when you're prepared to try and defend yourself against these accusations, you're told that you have a defense lawyer, an advocate who is going to come and represent you. And you don't remember hiring this defense lawyer, uh, so you kind of scratch your head. uh, But you were then told, oh, he's been on retainer on your behalf. That when you needed him, he would be called into the courtroom to represent you. Then you may protest. I don't have the money to pay for a fancy defense lawyer. I'm kind of broke. And you are told at that point in time, no, no, you don't have to pay. Your inability to pay is just fine. This, This lawyer is still willing to represent you. And indeed, you find out that this lawyer has actually paid a great price for the privilege of representing you before God in this courtroom. And then you might think, well, how good can this lawyer be? If he's giving away his services, how, how good can he be? Well, what is he called in this verse? 
What name does our advocate have? Jesus Christ, the righteous. If anyone sins, he is our advocate before God the Father and against Satan the accuser. This is remarkable. Now, if this trial were to continue, what sins would Satan accuse you of? Right? What charges specifically would he bring against you before God? Maybe blasphemy, idolatry, theft, lust, pride, coveting, bitterness, slander, fear of man, love of the world, ungodliness, living for ourselves. Whatever your deepest, darkest sins may be, uh, those ones that you don't want anybody else to know about, the ones that you are, are afraid to bring before God. Even those deepest, darkest sins, Christ is willing to come and represent you. He's not a defense lawyer who only picks cases in certain circumstances. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. He is willing to come and defend us. And he's willing to do that because of what he has accomplished for us already on the cross paid the penalty for our sins and his advocacy his payment is greater than our sins no matter how great our sins may be no matter how significant the accusations against us in the divine courtroom we have jesus christ the righteous as our advocate who is there ready to defend us and ready for every single accusation that satan brings to say that's okay. I've paid for that. That is what Jesus did on the cross. There's much to take away from this concerning Christ's advocacy on our behalf, but there's a, a few points to think about. Understanding Christ as our advocate helps us to better understand salvation. That our salvation, again, is not a formula, it's utterly and completely personal. Jesus doesn't send us on ahead and hope we do well. He's there with us every single step of the way, praying for us, ready to, to defend us and be there when we need Him. This is what we see. His advocacy also means that we do not have to advocate for ourselves. Right, we have Him as our representative. Uh, and imagine this way if you're going into a really big court case and you have to defend yourself how are you going to be feeling very nervous unless you're a trained lawyer right but it, but if you go into that same trial and you know that you have the best lawyer what are you going to do you're going to rest in that lawyer's arguments and in his approach to the trial and you're going to rest that this lawyer is going to defend you well that's what we see. We can rest in the defense that Christ brings on our behalf. And we shouldn't raise any defense in and of ourselves. Right? When we sin, we shouldn't try to excuse it away or blame others or minimize our sin. We should just instead openly confess it. Yes, that was grievous to God. That was selfish. That was prideful. That was... Uh, worshiping something other than God. I mean, as Bruce laid out for us this morning in equipping hour. 
worshiping my own desires rather than submitting and worshiping Christ. We can add nothing to the defense that Christ makes for us. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. It's accomplished. We don't have to add anything else to our defense. And the resurrection is God saying, I have accepted payment in full. The resurrection is the receipt of the cross. It is paid in full. Nothing else owed. But the cross and the resurrection are not the end of Jesus' ministry on our behalf. We see he continues to pray for us. He lives to make intercession on our behalf. And if anyone sins, when we sin, if we have trusted in Christ, he is our advocate with God the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. This has tremendous implications for our everyday lives and for eternity because Christ's intercession and his advocacy for us is bound up together with our salvation by faith. This is a tremendous comfort to everyone who has trusted in him. This is a tremendous blessing to know we have that lawyer on retainer. For everyone who has not trusted in him, this is like a splash of ice water to our hearts. It's sobering. Jesus is the constant intercessor, the as-needed advocate for the believer. But for, for those who have not trusted in Christ, you, you have, in essence, opted to represent yourself in that courtroom. And you are there standing at the defendant's table alone. Now, the accuser is still there. He's always there bringing charges and accusations against people. But you have no advocate. That is gravely unwise. Because again, many of those accusations of sin are going to be true. You stand guilty. And I don't say that in any type of uh, gripe against you or accusation against you. I say it to every single person here. We all are guilty of sin. We all have gone astray, sought to rule our own lives rather than submitting to the lordship of our heavenly creator. But additionally, also many, many in this world who are selling fake tickets. We have ticket scalpers in the, in the Christian world Many Christians, many churches, pastors who claim to speak the truth, but they, they are selling those fake and false tickets. And so we have to, to understand and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus alone uh, as he has described himself to be. Even as we've been studying through the Gospel of John. And he presents himself as the Son of God who has come... And he is our only hope. We've been studying through John chapter 8. He says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And our sin enslaves us, but Christ is here to free us. That's the message of the cross. And once we are freed, he doesn't just leave us behind, but he ever lives to pray for us. And he is our 
advocate whenever we are in need of someone to stand before God with us. So we cannot have a false understanding of who Jesus is or a, a false understanding of what he's done or an ignorance, an ignorance to what he is now calling us to be and to do. If we are following him, if we have trusted in him, he is calling us to live for him. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. All that begins with a simple childlike faith, looking to Jesus, trusting in him, realizing I need an advocate, saying I want someone praying for me, understanding our own sinfulness before the Lord, realizing that we stand before a holy God, guilty, but then if we have trusted in him, we rejoice that he continues to minister on our behalf, that he continues to plead our case and to be our advocate. May we rejoice in that. And if you are here this morning uh, and you, you want Christ to be your advocate, if you want to, to trust in him, please come talk with me. I'd love to tell you more about who Jesus is, about all that he has done on your behalf. You've heard what he is doing for you now, but there's also so much more that we will get to rejoice in in heaven. Even as we come and celebrate this day, that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. All who have trusted in him will one day be raised with him uh, and enjoy fellowship with him forever. Uh, and we long to see every person come to know and experience Christ, to have him as their intercessor and advocate. And we would love for you to know him in that same way today. But let's continue to praise him, to worship him, to sing about who he is and what he has done, and to praise him for being our continual intercessor and advocate. Let's pray.